Welcome to the Bye Bitches Podcast. We're super, super excited today, you guys. Um, today, we have a truly remarkable guest, someone whose journey through life has been nothing short of captivating. Our guest today is none other than Jeff Varner, whose story has unfolded across multiple seasons of Survivor, from the remote and challenging landscapes of the Australian outback, where he first burst onto the scene to a thrilling return to the game in the cutthroat Survivor Second Chances and Survivor Game Changers and so much more. Uh, welcome, Jeff. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful to be here. I've seen a couple of your episodes. I'm now a new subscriber. What? You might have seen oh, my hey. name fall in there. So um, I'm really <laughs> grateful to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, well, thank um, uh, Kelly, who introduced me to Kimmy, who introduced me to you. Two and, amazing women. Uh, really? We've had, you know, we've, we've been They were both incredible. I loved talking to both of them. Yes. CG's favorite episode so far. And, uh, you know, oh, yeah, I, I love talking about, you know, old movies and stuff like that. But I said to my mom, I was like, we're in my house now. This is my <laughs> domain. That's cool. <laughs> you know, I, I really wanted to say, first of all, I was like, nice to meet you, but nice to see you because yes. in our correspondence, you said that you interviewed me on a I red did. Carpet. And do yeah. you remember what it was? Was it, I mean, um, I'm assuming it was. I actually dug through some boxes looking for the tape. I was hoping to find the tape for it, but really? I couldn't find it because I recorded everything, but it was on a carpet. Okay. Somewhere. Some, I know we used to just hit record on our TVs. Well, yeah. and, and I think it's amazing that- You were with the cast. So there were, it, it was right when you first came out. The OC first came out. The OC. Oh, I see. Okay, cool. So uh, well, I'm old. I'm old. Oh, well, and she was one. You know, she was born in 2000. So- yeah. So, so I remember no, you guys being been... on the carpet. Oh, that's great. So I, I just, you know, I think before we get into all of that, I just wanted to point out that this show, which has was gate is clearly game changing. haha, in the um in the just the realm of television in general. I mean, obviously, yeah. CBS has made billions from this mm -hmm. from this. Um, but all of the opportunities that it afforded everybody. And you went on to a very successful broadcast journalism career, award-winning, Emmy-nominated. Yeah. Was that always the plan or like right after? You know, I graduated. It... When I was little, I wanted to be a news anchor. So I would sit in front of the TV and pretend to be Roger Mudd and Cronkite and all those guys. And um, I, when I graduated college, I got my journalism degree at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. It's a great J school. And I wanted to go. Uh, into news. I interviewed with a couple of stations. They were offering 12 grand a year, <laughs> which, you know, I'm old. So, but that was not even close to normal even then back in that day. So I also had an offer from AT&T to learn how to sell. And I thought that would be more valuable to be a salesperson for AT&T. So they trained me. I moved and ended up in New York City and uh, Survivor came along after I was in New York for a while. But I worked for Citibank. I worked in PR departments. I worked in communications departments, uh, advertising firms. I did a lot of that stuff. I was a part of Citibank's first team to create the intranet within Citibank. We, I designed the first interface and everything. That was in another life. But I worked for startups. I was on Silicon Alley and that wow. was my life for a minute. And then Survivor came along and I finally got the chance to see what life would have been like had I taken that journalism job to start with. Huh? And it just sort of led into a different direction. I had an offer and it, I took it and it just led in the direction. So how did Survivor come into your life? Like, how did you hear about Survivor? What made you want to go on the show? <laughs> you know, it's crazy. I am adventurous. I always have been. So I will try anything 15 times and it doesn't matter if I fail, but I was coming home after drinks, after work. The great thing about working in New York City is when you leave work, there's 15 bars around. So you all pop in, you have a few drinks, you kind of get a little buzz going on. I came home, I walked in, it was eight o'clock and I saw it on TV and I thought, what? the hell is this is this a child-friendly show by the way because i have a tendency to slip with a potty mouth oh it's oh, fine um and uh i just decided to apply for it it's like why not this is right up my alley these are normal people that's exactly what i would love somebody to do to me throw me on an island see how i can go i knew i'd be good for it and i was dramatic enough in my life and in front of people presenting enough to know that I probably could come up with a good reason to hire me for a TV person anyway. So I started putting together some tapes and hated everything I did. 
nothing made any sense. I, I had 15 tapes and it was like two days before the deadline. And I um, decided to give it one more shot. So I called in sick to work that day and I was going to shoot it again. And then I thought, well, why not take the best of each one of these tapes and just put them all together? Because I had a hard time getting all of my stuff into three minutes. And I was sitting in my bedroom and I had a nightstand next to me with a door. And I don't know if you know what the timeout dolls are, those little dolls that they look like real little boys and you put them in the corner. They're dolls, yes. but it's a Southern thing, maybe, I think. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> well, my <laughs> grandmother had made one of those for me and it was sitting there and I was so irritated. I turned the camera on. I said, this little box is your three fucking minutes. And I opened up the door and shoved the little boy in there. And I was like, I don't fit into three minutes. And that's how I just started it and did the whole thing. And when they called me, they called me the boy in the box. Some of the producers kept referring to the boy in the box. And I knew right then, if you're ever going to put in a tape for a reality show, those first five seconds are critical. Mm. They can shape everything. But they called. It was the craziest thing in the world. I never expected them to. Like 70,000 applications for eight guys. And I was one of them. Still to this day, I'm like, I don't know how that happened. That's awesome. I need Kelly, to win the lottery. Kelly had a kind of a... A, not similar ish. Similar ish. Yeah. Was an she did all these takes and not, didn't like anything. And then she did the last, the last thing she did. And her sister sent all the takes by accident. <laughs> and that's why they, so they it saw works. everything. And when you just everything, it teaches you so much, doesn't it? Especially it as really it, like, does. All, all the time. It's like, just throw it. Just at least you said you did it and you ha have no idea what will stick. And when it's yeah. too controlled and too perfect, perfect is, that's what doesn't get you the job. That's true. Right? That's right? you're not really you. You're putting on a, some kind of a show. You're trying. They, there's tapes really should show who you are organically, and it's hard to do that when you're putting on a thing. Yeah. So the budding of the the natural moments tend to probably work best. I think work for me. Wow. And then was there a, a very was it an elaborate audition process for you? Yes. Yeah. It was pretty <laughs> elaborate. They. The funny thing is, is when I I took the tape to the FedEx. I knew it. I just felt it. Yeah. I can't explain that. I don't know if you've ever auditioned for a role and you just knew you nailed it and you didn't need anybody to tell you something was speaking to me. I remember walking away from FedEx thinking, I need to figure out what I'm going to do with my life because I'm going on this show. <laughs> and I bought a, bought a new cell phone, got a new uh, cell phone and didn't give anybody the number. I needed to sort of migrate everything over and then give it out. But I did put it on my survivor application. So I was sitting home one day and I was on the phone with a friend of mine and all of a sudden the cell phone, the new cell phone rang and I knew there was nobody that could be, but CBS. And I died. I ran to the phone. It was a girl. And she said, this is Stephanie Furman with survivor. And I said, hang on a minute. And I went to my friend. I said, Steve, I got to go. I'll call you back. And when I got back on the phone, she said, Jeff, when you do call Steve back, he does not know about this call. And it, we had a whole 20 minute phone conversation. And she said, I'm sitting at a conference room table and half the room think one thing about you and the other half think something else. And we'd like to talk to you about it. Uh, but I, I knew instinctively they were looking for that kind of character. And I just sort of started through the whole process, throwing out things that shocked them. And I could tell every time I did it, I would, it would get me another level up. Hmm. And that was sort of a strategy I used. I think it's important to tell stories about how they happened, you know, and yeah. I think what's interesting, what you're bringing up is that, you know, it's there. You're still casting, even though it's reality, you're still yes. con it's still contrived in that you're casting yeah. different personalities yes. to create drama. They and have, they create they, a character out yes. of you. They don't even show all of uh, it. So they're molding this character. By editing uh, in a certain way, they're yes. manipulating the audience and showing yes. some things that are going to get reactions. Yes. And that character is shaped before they meet us, I think. Right. There, there's evidence that we have in documents and stuff that show that they were looking for a specific type and they found who fit it. Fortunately, I was one of those that fit it. But the more I went through the process, the more I kept understanding that little arrogant thing in me that they that I throw out there a little bit. Those little shock moments, they like it, keep doing it. And they would slip me little clues that that was working for me. I learned to think on my feet in that situation. Absolutely. So I'd get on the elevator and I knew that they had already narrowed the cast down. We were all in a hotel for like two weeks. We couldn't leave. And there was, I don't know how many of us, but they 
told you at the end of the two weeks, we were on or off the show. They told us face-to-face. I think that's the last time they did that. And they would eliminate people. You could see people leaving and you're still there. And you just get these clues. And I was in the elevator going for a final interview, one of the final interviews. And um, the uh, one of the casting associates had just gotten new braids. And I just instinctively reached over and tugged it a little and said, is that real? Which you never do ever. But I knew it was soft. It was sort of playful. And <laughs> in that moment, I, I she she was like, whatever. And I it, it created an energy that when I went into that room, I was exactly what they wanted. Right. And it just worked. And it wasn't me being an awful person because I'm an awful person. I was playing a system to try and get one of those spots. And I knew it was going to be cutthroat. And that's what they were looking for. It was a game for that. So I was giving them that in real time, hoping it would work. And it did. That's so fast. Some manipulative and awful. <laughs> no, no, not no. at all. You it's use really... their game too. That's exactly yes. what they're doing anyways. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I think that's like, you know, I don't know. It's so fascinating because you, you had a journey. It, this is first, it, this is after just one season has been on. Right. Yeah. Where yeah. Uh, we, we discovered like that first season was probably the most pure, although I found some very gentle, pure moments even in season two. But it was played so kind of innocently in the first season. And, you know, kind, you know, the yeah. Richard Hatch creating the first alliance and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, season two is going to come in with a game plan. Like what was your once you were cast, what was your plan coming in um, after seeing obviously the first season? Well, I told them that clearly um, Richard Hatchett introduced us to the alliance strategy. You had to have an alliance. And I figured we were all coming in with that same knowledge. So there would be multiple alliances. So I knew to prepare myself to be able to hop left to right if I needed to. And I tried to lay low and stay out of all kinds of drama till I felt like I can work with this one, that one, the other. I waited a few days and then Alicia was the one that I connected to first. Mm -hmm. She's the one who tipped me off about Deb and that was that Deb was going to vote for me the first time. So that's how I knew, okay, you're my girl. You, you're looking out for me. And that um, was my whole thing. Once you get in there, it's all over. You can't walk into that game with any kind of a strategy because the life of what's happening to you changes everything. You can think I'm going to sit here and do this, but then something happens and you have to go. And at that point I was really hyper alert. I remember, um, just looking for every little piece of body language and anything to see who I could connect with. I knew I needed to find a connection, but not be so loyal and connected that I couldn't hop to something else because I knew it was going to happen. What a balance game. What a balancing. It's awful. Like, yeah. But it's also what life is like too. Yes. We have to know that we're not in control of anything. And, but, but how we react to things and if we can be flexible and not let egos. I mean, most human beings act with ego constantly yes. and, and, you know, not humility, yes. but, but you're, but as you're going, it's like this idea that intuitively in that moment, you're going to know what to do, or you can only act. I mean, did you have moments where you thought instantly, Oh shoot, shit. I shouldn't have oh done my God. that. Uh, <laughs> Every or, day or, of my life. Yes. <laughs> Right. Constantly. Yes. Yeah. Well, in yeah. the beginning, like how was Kimmy was <laughs> talking about? I thought, first of all, I only just finished season two today, CG. And we're talking to <laughs> Tina in a couple days as well. But, you know, I jumped forward to a couple, a bit of your other seasons. But, yeah. but season two, Australia was rigorous, man. I, I mean, I know the hunger is a part of every season, but mm -hmm. it seemed particularly difficult for some mm -hmm. reason in season two, but, and also coming it in really was. Plane and hiking everywhere. Yeah. They were um, going to have a skydive in. Did Kimmy tell you that part? Yes. yes that's yeah. crazy. By ourselves. Like I, I was in a school to get certified and licensed to jump by myself. Did you actually do the school? Cause she I was the next. Yeah. I did three days of class and then I was oh. the next day was my first going to be my first tandem jump. And then I was going to do it alone. And they called and said, it's off. That's just too risky. Send that's me to an airport. Such a now. liability. But that was the original plan. That's how aggressively they were going after tearing us up. They wanted it to be difficult and they yeah. were pushing us right out of the gate. And I was doing it. Like I was actually going to do it. Right. I look like, back on it and I think I'm crazy, but I was going to do it. Speaking of tearing you up, obviously my mom said like hunger is hard. Sleeping. Yeah. What out of all of the elements and everything, what was the hardest aspect? The exposure, the hunger, eating chicken feed, like what? 
got to you the most in regards of survival? Um, that's a different answer for every season. You mean Australia? Yeah. Any of all of them. Well, um, for Australia, the hardest thing was, um, the, uh, dehydration for me. I got really dehydrated in the very beginning. Um, I got sick that very first episode I threw up and it was, that was, I felt awful when they put us in that plane to take us up in the air. I, there was a cargo net behind me and I remember I just grabbed it and was taking big deep breaths because they were doing this with the plane. They were trying. They gave us bottles of water and bananas before we got on. That's what was in our stomach to do this. They were trying to make some people throw up. So that's why people are gagging in that bag. But I went into some kind of zone that I've never been in in my life. And it taught me meditation is key, dude, because I was holding on to that thing, just breathing in and breathing out. And the next thing I know, I'm on the ground and they're yelling at me to get up and get out. I don't remember any of that flight at all. And that stayed with me for three or four days. And then that day I threw up um, instantly. I felt better. Wow. Instantly. You know, because I, I keep um, throughout this and I, I, I'm i so cynical. I'm like, OK, because we know the producers um, manipulate Bachelor and they and they manipulate um, they tell like what con contestants what to do and such. But Kimmy was talking about the fact that because it's a game show and it's regulated and it's mm -hmm. a light, you know, it's a legalities of such that the there's not, they, they're not allowed to. I guess legally interfere, interfere with... too much, but but yes. they but they create situations like making you see or uh, motion sickness or. Or uh -huh. they create these situations to oh, get they do a lot. You know, we go through all these uh, psychological tests and those are always fascinating. We take these little bubble tests as part of the casting process. And then the therapist would sit down in front of us and analyze them and tell you exactly who you are right are down right? to the moments of the things you don't tell anybody. Like that's how she nailed me a lot of times. And they use that. They take that information and they hand it off. And it's part of the whole process. That therapist works for the show. She doesn't work for me. So it's not like there's a, I don't even know the word for it. You know, when reality. Yeah, none of yeah. that. It's no you know, HIPAA. Right. No it HIPAA. eventually <laughs> goes here. No HIPAA. No HIPAA. I have a psychology degree. <laughs> I'm sure that I signed something saying they could do all of that, actually. Right. But. But you um, sign away all of these things, I'm sure, right? Yeah. So they know who hates who and what they don't like. And they go looking for, I think they find a good core, a small number of cast members they like. Mm -hmm. And then they go looking for the things that would make them ignite or whatever. And the people who would help them. And they craft it kind of that way, I think. I think it's like there's like an ABC level of casting that goes on. I do feel like, you know, obviously they pull you aside to do your interviews and I see exactly why they cast you. You had a way with words. You, you know, you were like, we're going after them. I don't care. We're cutthroat. We're, we're bloodthirsty. And that's what the show needs. Like you were yeah. very, very um, verbal about playing the game and being yeah. competitive. And what we now know are sound bites. If yes. you go through <laughs> media training, yes, uh, you, you've been taught to, which I actually did at one yeah. point. So you're they're looking for sound bites, making a sentence that they can pull out of a 10 minute interview yep. that makes a headline and grabs right. people's attention. Right. And you even had that background, probably. Yeah, I spoke in sound bites. They told me that I speak, I tell story in sound bite. Oh, I they wrote down that so many beginning. quotes from you. Like <laughs> you just have iconic little one-liners of things that I'm like. When it was, you were like, we are a very cocky group. Like, it's fun to beat them and laugh at them losing. And you know, I was in a like, warrior mindset. Like, exactly. it was, you're in a headspace. It's not like you're an awful person. It's just you're playing no. a game and you're in this space and people see it at home and make these choices and decisions about you. And thank God social media wasn't that big of a thing then. Right. I mean, yeah, if that's look, changed everything. I watched the um, the Michael Jordan documentary that came out, I think, last year or something. And it is if you're going to be in a competition, it is cutthroat and there is no, you know, feeling empathy for the other side. Yeah. You know? So I think in that season two, because in season one, there was all this there were so many contestants that were like, I thought the goal was the best survivors going to win and mm -hmm. we're going to play ethically. And mm -hmm. by season two, it evolved a little bit more to, no, this is a competition. There's gameplay. 
And and still at the end, there's still this discussion of playing ethically and manipulation and who's betrayed. And and Tina even said, I hope you don't make decisions based on your feelings. This isn't personal. Yeah. We're playing a game. Some people take it really personal, though. They can't connect. They can't disconnect or compartmentalize any of that. Right. And it's difficult to play with people like that because you're not trying to hurt somebody's feelings. You know, you're still my friend, but they take it personally and they walk away and they're you know, stuff like that. It's hard. It's a tough thing. It's a psychological experiment that's really intense. And I'm so grateful I had it three times because it's changed who I am as a human. I would, uh, you know, the more I'm watching, obviously, um, there's so, I love to do research and, and, um, read about you. There's no lack of information and stories and articles about you and the show. And I mean, it's it's awful too, (laughs) Well, but so much of it. But it's it really is a human experiment. It really is. And yeah. and if you don't aren't changed by that, it's it's like I think I, I would imagine every single person who's ever been a part of this has has had like life altering experiences. Like and and regardless of I mean, how much is the money uh, a factor? Because I know Tina was saying she was talking about the fact that just the experience is the experience. You know, I've, um, I've been grand, I've been river rafting on the grand Canyon and you go yeah. for the experience, you know, Olympic athletes, uh, they challenge themselves, not for money. They do it. For, you know, right. there's so many reasons to do things that are challenging in our lives, right. not for money, but how much of a, a motivation is it? That is the, it money? was a whole lot in the beginning. I went for money. I wanted money. I needed money. And I was yeah. also, I'm adventurous. So it's the weird thing is, is once you get in and get, sort of several days a week or so into the game, you forget that it's hard to like, you're, you're just in the day to day kind of play and keeping an eye on people and talking. And you kind of forget that it's an easy survivor brain is real, not eating, not sleeping. It changes who you are in a lot of ways. It connects you to who you, the animal in you is in a lot of ways, but, um, you can change your focus every day. You wake up. There was one day I wanted to quit. I almost quit. I sat on a rock and just thought, I'm done. This is awful. I'm starving. This is a hateful game. I hate it. But then you take a nap and you wake up and it's like, where's the money? I want to kill somebody. <laughs> you know, it's just different. No, it's I a mean, different thing. How many of us have had difficult? I mean, that's a, that is magnifying any kind of difficulty in life. 100%. What you're magnifying. But, you know, how many of us have had, a, had, have been going through a difficult time in our lives and the worst time is going to bed and you're like, oh, my, it's just everything's spinning out of control yeah. and you get a good night's rest and you wake up and that teaches you that things are temporary. Yes. You're going to get through this. And I can imagine that what you, what you all went through literally gives you a newfound confidence in life. Absolutely. And failure is so important to learn and Absolutely. be successful. There is no success without failure and all Absolutely. of the wonderful life lessons that come yes. up. And I'm grateful that I am, for the most part, a self-aware person. So I was able to look at everything negative that happened and make it something positive. It's all a good thing. Even if it's bad, it's good. You yes. just have to find the way it is good. Sandra, uh, Queen Sandra would say to me, you got to hunt the good stuff, Jeff. No, mom, you don't know who Sandra stuff. is. Well, she <laughs> she's an, an interview you need. She's an interview you need for sure. Okay. <laughs> well, can, I, can now I'm gonna I'm gonna do this just and this is all for this is um all with um compassion and grace. I yes. whenever I was reading or researching this, I kept coming up with articles and there was so many descriptive words that described you and it's I just wanted to tell you a few because oh God, okay. there's no lack and resilient, determined, charismatic, adventurous, tenacious, controversial, unconventional, regrettable, dynamic, resourceful, engaging, provocative, divisive, compassionate, persevering, infamous, outspoken, influential, reckless, brave, insensitive, relatable, unpredictable, inspirational, authentic, ambitious, just to name a few. Do you agree with wow. those? That's just a few that I pulled out of articles. Oh my God. I almost want you to read that again. <laughs> I will. That's, that's just stuff you need to. Yeah, yeah. I would say that though, I'm all of that. I mean, I'm right. all of that and, and a whole lot of other things. And, and hearing that other people see that and write about it. Yeah. Even the negative ones, you know, it's fine. Well, and I think that, that that affirms me a little bit. I'm I'm almost emotional, honestly. Yeah. It's uh, it's a pretty 
I mean, I it, because I was looking at something and it said you were speaking at Stanford or you were doing a uh, was it no. Stanford? Not Stanford. It was um, you were speaking about you were anyway, and and then they were introducing you and it was uh, you were doing a speech um, yeah. for an hour and taking questions somewhere. Yeah. I've, and, I've done that a few times. It could be anywhere. I can't remember. Right, right. I couldn't remember exactly where it's yeah. but um, but I just started and I was like, wow, that's a you know, these amazing introductions and all this. And that was back in like 2012 and such. And I just thought like it's it's such an interesting thing to have been a part of a show like this and then go on to broadcast journalism. Um, you worked for, was it NRET? Yes. Right after Survivor, KCBS in LA kept asking. They kept on, on. You've got a position. We want you to come work. Come on. And I kept saying, no, I, I lived in Manhattan. I was a Manhattan boy. Even though I'm Southern, I was very New Yorker at that point. And I was comfortable and loved it, did not want to go West. And they just were persistent. And I eventually caved and went to Los Angeles and worked in as an entertainment reporter for KCBS and I just had a degree. I'd never really had like day-to-day experience. I'd done other things in my career. So other than Survivor and the Survivor interviews, this was new. And they gave me a producer who wrote stuff for me. So I was just performing and going to red carpets and doing things and set visits and stuff, which was super cool. I had the time of my life, but I wanted more. I was more than that. Like I, I, I can write, I'm a writer. I understand journalism. I want to go to the courthouse. And I kept, I remember I said one day, I want to go to the LA courthouse and turn a real story. And they, they just saw me a certain way. You know, it was hard to break that. I'm the reality guy in Los Angeles. And I felt a lot of, you know, walls come up because that's who I am and I'm nobody. And I had to fight a little bit harder to get some opportunities. I got the opportunities because of Survivor, but it was hard to grow them into something because of Survivor. So when E, I had a fantastic manager at the time, Arnie Preston, if you ever see him, he's fantastic. He knocked on doors for days and got E to let me come in and they let me write my own stuff. And I was there for a year and a half, probably. Mm-hmm. And then left there for TV Guide Network because they offered me more money. And it, about five years as an entertainment person, I never really felt comfortable. I was on every red carpet. I interviewed everybody. I was on all the sets. I talked to all these people. I met producers and directors and just didn't know quite how to handle them because that's not my world. And I think that's what attracted me to them is that I wasn't somebody looking to just be a face on TV. I was looking to actually do a job and learn and grow because I wanted to be in real news. I didn't want to do this entertainment stuff anymore. But going from being in front of the camera to behind that velvet rope was really fantastic. Like I learned how the business works. I knew if you want some attention, here's how you got to do. And here's who the five people are. You need to make sure sees it. And get you a publicist, make it a good one. And it just, I, I, I know how people get up on the magazine covers and I just, I know the game. It's when you're working with publicists directly instead of the stars, you really learn. Do you have a publicist? I do. Yeah. They do such a good She's job. She's the one who sent me, she sent me to um, media training back in absolutely 98. Yeah. They're amazing. They're amazing. Yeah. And they all have incredible yeah. secrets, but <laughs> I interviewed so many people. I had great interviews. I had awful interviews. Some of the people that I worshipped when I met them in person, I thought, what? Oh, you mean you were interviewing celebrities? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I I got, it's like they lifted the fourth wall. Yeah, they lifted the fourth wall. I saw how the sausage was made. You know, it, it, you know, I was. How sausages are made. Right. Oh, no, you, it's delicious. But if you saw how it was made, you kind of it's go, a scary business. No, it's a it's tough such business. a funny comparison. <laughs> CG, are you hoping to be a star one day? Um, I maybe it's it's a possibility. I take acting classes right now. We'll see. Well, awesome. she, she was, I love she that. Was young. She was like, Mom, I want to be a Disney star. And I said, it's hard work, honey. And then she realized like, oh, yeah, it is hard work. But now she's I said she said and I wanted to be an FBI agent for about 10 years. <laughs> but you do That's have a, you have a minor in criminology, right? I do. Yes. Acting is kind of like being an FBI agent on some level. It is a little bit, actually. I'm investigating do, into who people are and how they behave. And I do improv at Second City right now. So it's a lot of um Are you in Chicago? Yeah, yeah, I am. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, I live in Chicago. I'm actually moving back in about three weeks, but I've been here for the past five years. 
That's great. That's a great place. That's fantastic. I love it. But what I taught acting God. classes for a while too. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. I was in a theater company in Los Angeles. I was in oh, the wow. Open Fist Theater Company. Have you ever heard of it? Which one? Open Fist. I have. Yeah. I was in that theater company for about oh, three God. years, maybe. You, I just love that you're your journey has taken you on so many things. And what I'm hearing yes. is that you, you're not afraid of failure or, Absolutely not. or, or being nervous or being, Absolutely so not. people don't do things because they let fear re- live, uh, run their lives. Yes. And, and any of us who've actually, I've been fear-based in my life for yes. a number. And I, and I've worked to overcome that because ultimately it just doesn't matter. Our, our failures are what, especially if you learn from a mistake and yes. and then and say oh i learned from that i'm not going to do that anymore that's yeah. what being a human being that's a definition of being a human being and um but yes i did say to cg as long as you're doing this not for fame or money yeah that was that never game. yeah the fame yeah, thing was never experience. for me yeah. it's an ugly business it's not for sissies so you got to have a a passion there's something in your heart that has to be there for it or don't do it you'll be miserable that's one thing I learned. I met so many miserable celebrities. It's ridiculous. Well, isn't that interesting that, mm-hmm. you know, it's because I think one of the biggest things, because I've, I've, I've observed and, and looked back at my own like moments where I wasn't happy. And I thought, why? Because you're comparing yourself to other people or yes. you're thinking, I, I can't. Worse, wait. other people are comparing you to other people. Yeah. Or, or, or it's like, I, well, I'm I'm here doing this job, but I can't wait to get there. But there isn't there. It's when it gets here, it's here. And yeah. being able to enjoy the journey or be in the moment, there's yes. always something else to get to, is such a detrimental thing. And if you do it every single day, that becomes your reality. Yeah. Whatever we believe becomes your reality. So we need to be careful of the lies that we tell ourselves every single day. 100% limiting beliefs, even the narratives other people create around you, especially when you're in that business, everybody's creating the narrative for you. It has right. nothing to do with who you are. It's who they see you as. And if it's a big studio, it's who they pay to create this image of who you are. And they sell it and put it on this magazine and send you down that carpet. And it's all a manufactured, created right. thing. There's so many brilliant, talented actors in Los Angeles, and none of them are working. Yeah. And it's so it, unfortunate. It's interesting when I, if I look back, I I can remember, I mean, I, I don't off the, I don't, because I don't focus in that anymore, but I could remember all the things that affected me. Somebody saying, you're too pretty. You're not pretty enough. You're, you're really, you're not, you're, sl-, you know, like mm-hmm. commenting on my body or, yeah. or something, but there's always, it's just one, they're just words and it's one person's opinion. Mm-hmm. And, or, you know, because then I, or that I used to say, I need to know why I didn't get this job. And I'm yeah. Say, I don't need to know. Just right. move on. Because they That's say the no secret. to everyone but one. One right. person gets the job. There's hundreds of others who didn't. Just move and on. And it's a minor little thing that made them get it over you. Like it's not even anything big. It's just a no. thing. Hair color can do it. Like it's or or that you reminded them of some girl they didn't like in high school. I mean, it could be something as stupid as that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's shallow. There are parts of it that are so shallow that it's like that. Yeah. And they know they're doing it, but they're doing it anyway. Yeah. I auditioned for probably like a hundred commercials and I got several rounds of callbacks, almost got one for Nike, but I never booked anything. So it was about rejection. Hollywood taught me how to healthfully accept rejection. Number one. Well, yeah. It threw me completely. Painful thing. And it's not, it's, it's really important to, I think Viola Davis just said this recently and she said, it's really important if you're going to be an actor, that can't be your only thing. You've yeah. got to have outside um, interests. And it sounds like you have way more than most of us. Because Yeah, I don't know how I ended up that kid. I, I'm, I've always been him. I don't know where I got it. I'm unlike anybody in my family. I'm an adventurous sort of go there. I'll walk in anything. Everybody in my family is a little afraid to try something new and I can't yeah. wait. And it's carried me. I go where my gut goes. Some of the worst mistakes I've made in my life, I went against my gut. Mm. And so I've learned to trust it. And it's telling it's God talking to me, I think. I'm not sure what that is, but it feels right. And I follow it. And there's a lot with Survivor I did that I did not follow my gut because Survivor <laughs> brain is real, but. Well, I was about to ask in Survivor, you said you followed your gut in season two. Was there any 
mistakes you feel you made, anything you wish mm-hmm. you could go back and change in the mm-hmm. second season specifically. Did yeah. it have to do with peanut butter? <laughs> yes, that's one thing. <laughs> that's so stupid. Isn't that stupid? <laughs> I threw I away know. an amazing well, adventure over a handful of peanut butter. I don't know. That was a massive blob of peanut butter. I feel yeah. like in that moment, it seemed worth it. Oh, yeah. And I I just, I don't know. I said things. I gave away too many secrets in the beginning that came back to haunt me. And it's who you talk to and how you talk to them. And uh. when it all goes down and it has to be made in a split second, like it's not as easy as you think. You just sort of do it. And then you fix it somehow. Once you screw up, you find a way to fix it and you work yourself back into this thing. And it's just a busy little circle of stuff going on and on and on and on and it burns that, your head up that it can be really distressful oh man i was going to ask about kucha specifically you you said you know you shared too many secrets but kucha itself seemed like such a tight knit friend bond group of people was that just a facade that we saw on television or did you really feel that like familial bond with those people yeah we felt it that was a very early we all connected completely and it was um unsettling after a while. I remember there was one interview I did where I said, we're all getting along too much. We're here to play a game and something needs to happen. And that's when I decided to pit Kimmy and Alicia against each other behind their backs without them knowing it. It was a strategy I used that started that fight, that big finger waving. Oh, about the chicken fight? That, I did that. Did you? <laughs> I did do that. If you go back and watch it, once it starts up, look over the shoulder and you'll see me walking away. Oh, because I knew I, I, <laughs> I dropped the bomb and then I walked away and then there it went. I worked on that one for days. I tried to get that going for days. Whoa, really? Because I bet the producers are like, thank God Jeff's here. Because yeah, we they like- were. Oh, yeah, they were. They well, said that Jeff's to me about doing our job for us. <laughs> yes, they were. Um, but I, I knew that Kimmy was on Alicia's nerves and I knew that Alicia was on Kimmy's nerves. So when I was together with them, I just sort of did it, did it, did it each other each of them and then i brought up the chickens and once that started i turned around and walked away and there it went <laughs> that was like a bomb went off we needed that we, we were playing a game we were all one unit you know you got to go to tribal council who you're going to vote out we're two weeks in we keep winning so nobody's going out we're all friends and that can't be here right so i guess i was probably the first to start it what happens what's the consequence of everyone being too nice to each other it's not going, it's going to be boring or it's, or it's not going to be. Yeah. But, and you've got to vote somebody out. So if everybody's friends, it's like, who do you, how do you do that? If you had to vote your family out of their house on Thanksgiving, who would you vote out first? Right. So, it you know, it's a hard almost, thing when it everybody almost messes with the competition. of Yes. The, right. Yeah. The competition is where I was focused. So yeah. It and was, that's not, there's no right or wrong. It's just that it, it's yeah. an interesting game. If people are, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think that's so interesting because you see in the later seasons, within hours, people despise each other. They hate each other. And it's just so much animosity so quickly. And I think the Kucha tribe is unlike any other tribe that's maybe ever been on Survivor because you you could see the bond. And especially I want to ask about Mike's accident. Yeah. And that situation, like you could see how much you guys cared for each other. Well, that was yeah. a big moment for us that really brought us together. We had already been sort of at each other's throats there for a minute. I forget. Kimmy had already been voted out, so she wasn't there. Yeah. Um, it was awful. How I was gracious. there. I, I witnessed it. I could hear it. I was in the, the hut, so I couldn't. I knew he was at the fire blowing into the fire, but I was laying down. And all of a sudden I heard this beating that sounded like a thud and i was like what is going on and mike was crawling out of the fire and running toward the river was my first shot and then that skin coming off his hands and the way production wheeled in and took care of him and pulled us out of the way and brought him in it was very deep mark burnett set up i don't know if you remember the scene but when the helicopter takes off at the end we're all in a straight line watching him waving that was a mark burnett creation and that was so uncomfortable for me you mean they recreated that? No, but he told us, stand here, stand in this line oh. and wave, wave, you know, like he was creating a TV moment and mm-hmm. we're sitting here waving at this thing going away and it felt so uncomfortable and awkward, but. In a moment that's so emotional. And yeah, like, oh, you're it was having the wrong moment. Yeah, it made me see you care more about the drama than you, you know, I don't want to say that because they just took care of the guy and he cares about him for sure. But it's just a feeling you start to get when production gets involved a little bit like that. You as don't much want as that. they 
did care about him, it made for great television. It did. You know? Then and they know what they're doing, but it still felt really weird and inappropriate for me. There's but, always yeah. been that kind of feeling of, um, you know, it, you know, even from my acting classes, like they said, you show up to class unless you're literally on your deathbed. We don't care what's going unless you're working or on your deathbed. You show yeah. up. That's your commitment. You yeah. show up to set. You show up. I mean, it, it is true. Sometimes actors can't be replaced. But mm -hmm. there's then there there was a time where people were wearing these T-shirts that said, relax, it's just a movie. And <laughs> some people get upset like, yeah, no, it's not. It's life. It is. And yeah. this industry can be like that in that there's no shutting down you know, for something like that. It's yeah. part of the game. Yeah. So my question, how did, I didn't, I didn't get that far as far as like, how did he recover well? And was he, did yeah, he, he recovered. They, they did some surgery on him and took care of him and sent him home and he recovered. He's full recovery. I haven't talked to him in years though. I would imagine that that, that though was the turning point that the, the game would have gone completely different because you guys were going to be one up going. Into I might've won. I feel like another I was set quote, up to win. Really? Another quote by you specifically, you said we had them. Like we, did. we had them. They were all going to be picked off if Mike yeah. didn't get injured. Yeah. Yeah. And I had myself set up properly within the group. So I knew if I we could get over there and we'd be the majority, I knew I would make a beeline for Jerry. There's something about Jerry that kept speaking to me intuitively. And I told producers long before we merged, I was like, Tina is going to win. Watch her. Because when we came together for challenges, I watched her for some reason. She just said it to me in a way. I don't know. But um, I knew to get with Jerry. And I didn't know why. And I didn't really understand why. But when we merged together, in hindsight, she was the key. I just needed to convince her. I didn't know what was going on because you don't know what they're doing. But I knew in hindsight, um, that was the moment I missed. That was a moment I missed where I could have swayed her. They mm -hmm. didn't want you to know about any votes mm -hmm. or anything. And mm -hmm. so Deb's one vote. Mm -hmm. Did they, uh, what was yeah. the situation about Deb had vote? You ended up in the tiebreaker with Colby. Yeah. They slipped a little Mickey to us the night before the game started. They pulled us out and gave us a new little document to sign where it said um, rule change in the event of a tie the number of person who's had the most number of previous votes goes out. That was a new thing. And so that changed everything. And I didn't really grab that in that moment. I was in a different headspace. So that was something I wish I had paid more attention to as well. Because I noticed it's interesting. There wasn't a lot of, and I think this is just because of editing maybe, but there, there wasn't always, they weren't always showing the audience who might be vote who might go up or who might get voted out. I thought that sometimes they were just like, they were big surprises. It felt like. Because we were organically living and they were following us. Like that's the big difference for me from the second season and the later seasons is that they had little things, little placards around their necks that had our pictures and said who we were, what we were about, what we would most likely play like. Like they had this little bio of us so they could study us and they knew how to shoot us and what to do. But wherever we went, they would just follow us. And I felt like in that season, they took what organically happened and showed it. The later season, it was clear they had a character created and you were going to fit that one way or the other. It's like streamlined so much that it's just banged out. And no matter how good some people play, I saw cameras leave them alone. And I'm like, that she's playing better than that one, but you're all over that one. And then you start to see when you play the all-star that the people you've watched that you looked up to because they were rock stars are empty sacks of nothing. Like they have no strategy. They have no personality. They just lay there and it's an editing trick. There's some, some of those contestants are editing tricks. Ah, They're not yeah. for real. But just through the seasons and seeing how season two changed to season 34, so much just is different today. I know you haven't gotten that far yet. I was going to ask about season 31 game or second chance yeah. is 31. Um, and you said there were so many differences. What was your feeling when you're sitting there and they tell you that America wants you back? Yeah. How did that feel for you? That is, a, I got the news career I wanted and did that for 17 years or ever how many years and couldn't do that anymore. So I walked away from that and I was in this place where something new needed to happen in my world. So when Second Chance came along and they called and said, do you want to be part of this pool? I thought, yeah, I don't have anything to worry about, you know, to do right now. Let's do it. And 
when I was sitting there that night, I knew because I think I might have been the third one in line that he announced. I don't know. But who was the first one? Kelly. Kelly was first and she got in. Kimmy was second and she got in. And I'm third and I'm thinking there's no way they're going to do in, in, out. I mean, in, 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 I'm out. So I thought it. So when Jeff said you're in, I made him repeat it because I thought he was going to say you're out. And I don't even remember how that felt. I was so excited and terrified at the same time. I don't get afraid much. And that was one moment where I was really like, holy shit, I'm actually doing this again. And I'm not going home. I'm leaving tomorrow. And I ran up on the stage and tripped over the (laughs) stage and almost fell. And that was foreshadowing. (laughs) Looking back on it, that was foreshadowing where I was going to go because I busted over my own feet. But what were your observations? I hope I answered your questions. No. Oh, so yes. I can absolutely. ramble. I have a tendency to no, ramble. No, but, but what was your I'm ADHD. We can talk about that too if you want. Oh. Say it again. Well, I was going to say, what was your biggest, because this is what, 14 years later or um, from season yeah. two to season um, 31? What mm-hmm. was the biggest change? Obviously, production's gotten bigger or, you know, uh, just how you entered. You're not on a plane, you're on these boats. Uh, like, oh, that was such was, an epic entrance too. It was like I, I have seen that, so I have I have watched a bit, quite a. I, yeah, I, I love that season. The important, so much. and you um, guys were in Cambodia, and like just having to get there and swim and do the boat and all that. What mm-hmm. what, what are your biggest thoughts of those first couple days in Cambodia? Of like just comparing it to season two. I did not. I learned right out of the gate. There is no comparison. This was a completely different thing. I'm going because the world has voted for me. So I am carrying the weight of that. I felt that before I even left. It's like, I'm not playing for me here. I'm playing for people. They want to see something. I need to do my best to get it. And one thing I noticed right out of the gates, my phone's ringing off the hook before we left. So there's this whole strategy of pre-gaming, people calling each other and planning and strategizing and having alliances already made and I was so set up. I knew when I got there, it was going to be epic. The start of the game is one thing for me. But when we landed in Cambodia and I stepped off the plane, I had an experience. I don't know what it was, but I couldn't breathe. I think it was because it was so hot and humid. Maybe it was just so thick and I don't know what it was, but it. I felt like I was in for something. I felt it. And they had us at the open walk through all those temples, you know, anchor Wat and all that stuff, and then get in the boat and drive the boat over to the other boat. Seeing that put together was amazing because we had a beginning that no one else, I don't think had had. They, we didn't just show up on location and go. We flew to one city and popped in a hotel and they would put our game clothes on us and we'd go to a temple site and walk through a temple. And then we'd go back to the hotel and shower and they'd, press our shirts and clothes. And then we get picked up again and we go walk through another and then we get on a plane and fly to another place and then a bus and drive here. And it was just a series of seeing this magical kingdom. Cambodia is spectacular. And I never wanted to go. I never thought anything about it, but I've been back since because I just love it so much. And it, we finally wound our way to the Ponderosa situation and it took days. It was like a four or five, six day journey just to get there. And then four or five, six days in pregame before Ponderosa. And I had alliances set up with everybody. We weren't allowed to talk. I knew what, you know, we did this little press junket and I, my mouth told the guy, I'm in alliances with everybody. And I just rippled them off. And I thought this is going to be cool. I was giving America what they voted for. I wanted to play for them. And this is what they wanted. And I want to let them know I'm going in arm. Let's go. And Mark Burnett went and put every single one of those people on my tribe. I showed up as the middle of all my alliances. So I had to make choices quickly as to who was going to get voted out. They taught me a lesson that day. No pre-gaming. But it really? was intense. So those first couple of days on Cambodia were intense because I had a lot All going on. All your friends on. around you. Oh, I'm yeah. so alert. I was never in my life more alert because I would watch who was doing what with who. I was trying to decide which side am I going to go with because I've got to go with one or the other. I can't go with everybody. And it was just an amazing experience deciding, playing both sides for several days. And I had the time of my life. I really enjoyed that game. I played too hard, too quick, and it hurt me. And I ended up getting out. Another soundbite that I love. (laughs) You said that Cambodia, it wasn't a midlife crisis. It was a midlife quest 
Yes, ma'am. Yes, and I, I adore that because some people I'm are like, glad. oh my gosh, why would you go on Survivor? That's crazy. But as we've talked about, it really is just so life-changing in the fact yes. that you had the chance to go back twice after. Yes. Um, I knew that after the first one, when I got back in the first one and I would take note of how I was different, how I felt about myself and my work and the confidence you were talking about, Melinda. So I was uh, really focused on that. I turned 50 that year. I was 50. I hit the 5-0 in, in Survivor Cambodia that year. So it was a big turning moment. I had dreamed of being a news person. I finally got the opportunity to do it. Be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. I realized at an early enough age that this is not me. This is not what I want to do with my world. And I was in a transition that would have freaked most people out, I think. I'm 50. I don't have a job. And I'm going to play this stupid game on TV. I'm on a quest. And I don't know what I'm going to find, but I'm on it. I think it is fascinating, like that idea of, um, you know, when you turn 50, like get into your 50s, like I've got the rest of like the second half of my life is going to be yeah. better than the first half. Absolutely. And that was my start. That's how I started part two. And it's been a journey, dude. It's been a ride for sure. So then, so you finally, you know, when I think of Survivor, we all think of, I think of islands, I think of, um, you know, this, you know, waterfront and such. So. Was your initial reaction like it's nice to be on the ocean and not near um, a river or a stream? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it was just I didn't compare like that. I knew I was in a different world with a different thing. And we were trying to figure out what we were doing because they were putting us on those little boats to go down this little village stream. And we hadn't been to sleep at all. Like we went to bed at one in the morning and got up at three to go play the game that day. And we're just walking through and doing all these things. And, you know, you'd ride the little boat to the village and all the families are there and then they turn us around and take us back. And then we ride to the vote. We did like three or four times of each thing so they could get different shots and angles. Um, but comparing the two locations, there was no, I did. I just didn't, I knew I was in a different world and I just, I knew from the first time around that I should really just embrace where I am mm -hmm. and enjoy this. This game is going to be tougher. It's going to be harder but I knew what I was going to do and how I was going to do it. I was very emotional that day. I think I even sounded a little bit, I'm, I'm a sensitive guy. I do get emotional sometimes over nothing, but I was so grateful to be back. Yeah. Coming into it. He said, I could hear the emotion in your voice. Yeah, uh, I couldn't believe it. I still couldn't believe it. I had just yeah. walked through temples that I studied. So I knew the history behind them and they were just so spiritual and it was a journey. Cambodia is very spiritual. It's Buddhist. There are monks everywhere. The temples and everything's a temple theme and everybody's so happy and joyful. And, you know, you just want to know you guys were in genocide not all that long ago. And why are you so happy? How they've come through that as a society. And they're just the happiest, most giving people ever is really inspirational. And I, I, I really plugged into that in Cambodia, for sure. You know, Anthony Bourdain did an episode about Cambodia that had a similar ring to what you were saying, like yeah. one of his favorite spots to be. And it's kind of changed because he was focused so much on food. And then after that, he started focusing even more on culture and and using his voice and his platform to to share what that culture had had been through and and to celebrate it as well. And it, yeah. that's, that's fascinating to hear. I'm writing a book and one of my chapters is set there. I had to set it there because it was part of my journey and just writing about the people I met and interviewed along the way. And I had a driver that took me from Phnom Penh to Kampot one day. We were in the car for three hours and he was explaining his, I just was like, why are you, I asked him, why are you so happy? <laughs> like everybody's so happy here. And he just explained the Buddhist teachings and, he spoke several lessons to me, gave me a little teacup exercise, and I'll never forget that. So I, to this day, I'll take a hot cup of tea and do what he told me to do before I start my day. And it really sets the pace. It's a, it's something that we've, I've, it's come, I've come to learn that, yes, I mean, when people say that happiness is a choice, it's also a practice yeah. because like Viktor Frankl discussed that, you know, how those that could sur who survived the Holocaust is because they yes. found meaning in small things yes. every day, whether yeah. it's a piece of string. And that comes from Survivor, because when you're out there and you're trying to get to a certain place and the, all the alliances are against you and you're the only one who's on the outside, mm -hmm. I can't tell you the ugly and just the lonely that is, because you know you're also on TV and people are going to see me in this miserable spot and I have failed and it's just all these thoughts and stuff and 
being able to turn that into something positive has been a journey and a lesson from all three of my survivor situations. I'm so proud of who I am today. And I owe all of it to that, which has really been a difficult thing for me, given how bad the last time was. The first two were so spectacular. And the last one was just the worst of worst. I saw the ugliest of it all. And it's a struggle I've had. Do you think that... um because you're if you're exposed to i think it's interesting because if you have if you're surrounded by people who aren't in a journey of with your feet on the ground enjoying that um enjoying the journey appreciating being coming from a uh, mm -hmm. humble place whereas some other people might be acting in ego and i've got to just mm -hmm. win and i've got to be cutthroat and how much on a daily basis is it it's can be difficult to not give up your power to somebody who seems to be getting more or mm -hmm. doing better or like yeah. how do you navigate that with when you have it's difficult it's very difficult and it's organic it has to be which is why they put so much effort in casting the right people which is why the psychological exams come through and the interviews you have with therapists there there's several interviews in the rounds with therapy there and you it just for me personally, people react differently to therapists and their teaching and how they help you. But for me personally, it just was the rock. I just kept leaning on my gut and how I feel. And even though I'm playing this way, I really feel like something's happening over here. And I would just follow that. And I was always right. That last time I played was the best game I've ever played. This is game changers. Yes. And nobody would know that because it wasn't edited that way. Why? You had to edit it a different way because of the way I ended. They build your character off how you walk out the door. So if you walk out the door a certain way, they have to create something to that make that make that. sense. So you could yeah. be the sweetest, kindest person through the entire thing and then do something really bad. And that's awful. And they'll find ways to back into. They'll find the villain villainous pieces. Yes. Yes. To build the character. It's amazing what they do. The therapist was explaining that to me one day. She was, she told me that they actually let her do a challenge to see so she could understand what it might feel like. And she did, you remember the challenge where they hold the thing with the flat thing with the statue on it and you have to balance it and go and fight people with it, knock theirs off before yours falls. It was one of right. those, I think. And she played it once and they edited it one way. And then they took the same footage and edited it a different way. And she said it was the most eye-open experience she ever had because she was one person here and a completely different one there. And she didn't do anything different. And having her explain that to me really scared me going into Game Changers, quite frankly, waiting really? for that to air because I knew what was coming. The producers are fully aware that they know exactly what they're doing. We are going, this is, a, this is entertainment. We're going to edit it. We're going to manipulate it, contrive it. And these, our contestants need to know that maybe you don't want to walk away with what you, you know, you, you might not have control over what you're putting out there because we're mm -hmm. going to paint you as a villain. And, um, you, hopefully you can help the, these contestants through this. The therapist needs to help you guys through this. That's interesting. Up well, to I a guess point. Once the finale's over, you're dropped. We're not paying for this anymore. You're over. <laughs> so in in Game Changers, um, what was it that just just for those of us who I'm not I'm not there yet? Game change is making big bold moves, right? Yeah. So yes. you had made some big bold moves in second chances, or in like what yeah. what was the one that like got you there? Why do you think that that was? Because it was only a couple of years later, right? But also you were like a fan favorite, I think. They knew that you were a great character for the show. I have two answers for that question. Okay. The first one is um, because um, they really liked my gameplay for Cambodia. I was very aggressive in the beginning. I was fun. I was personable. People liked me, but I was also ruthless and flip-flopping back and forth. I voted with one side one night and the next side the next, and they liked it. And I remember when I got voted out, the producers, the big cheeses, there's, I can't think of his name, Dan, I want to say is his name, came out of the trailer to meet me personally. And they, the therapist said, that's never happened in 31 seasons. So she's like, you're coming back. <laughs> and I knew that I would. When I got the call, I figured that's why. Um, but in hindsight, I think I was cast for Game Changers to uh, draw out Zeke Smith's story. Really? If I'm being completely honest. Yes. Interesting. That's fascinating. I'm stepping into territory that's 
Well, I, I think it's but important. I tell, it's what I believe. It's what I believe. Well, a question I want to ask on not getting into, you know, the controversy of everything that happened. Like you can you get said, into it. I'm not afraid of it. Thank you so much, Jeff, for joining us here. And thank you, listeners. Please follow, rate, and review wherever you listen to the podcast. And if you like to watch us, please check it out on YouTube for additional content and live Zooms with us. Please consider supporting us on Patreon. That really does help us. And we'd love to meet you. Come on over. Follow CG at, at CG Mirror on Instagram and on TikTok. And I am the Melinda Clark on Instagram and TikTok. And also there's a Bye Bitches, at Bye Bitches on Instagram. Bye and Bitches Podcast. That's it. Sorry. At Bye Bitches Podcast. See? Make a mistake. You need me here. What would you do without me? I don't know. I love you. Anyway, I love all of you guys too. And bye. Bye, bitches.